Let's turn to number 169 as we prepare to hear God's word this evening. Uh, this tune we have sung the last two Lord's Day mornings, this with the text, Master, speak, thy servant heareth, waiting for thy gracious word, longing for thy voice that cheereth, Master, let it now be heard. We're going to sing the four verses, 169. Let's stand together as we sing. Tonight, God's Word comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1, we're going to begin our reading at verse 18, and then read through verse 5 of chapter 2. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1, 
beginning at verse 18. What we hear now is God's word. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, in our study of this second letter, the first that we have, this second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, we are still very much in the introductory section of the letter. We saw how Paul begins by giving thanks to God. Chapter 1, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And he reminds them, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We saw last time that he, he began to introduce one of the topics that he wants to talk about and that is divisions in the church, a topic he'll pick up again in chapter 3. 
We saw at the end of last time's uh, text, chapter 1, verse 17, we read this. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And we dealt with the first half of that verse in connection with the last sermon. I said we'd get to the second half in connection with this sermon. Paul says these words, it seems almost casually, to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And suddenly his mind goes to preaching, and he takes something of an excursus on the nature of preaching the gospel in the church. And it's in this next section then, from this middle of chapter 1 to the end of chapter 2, that he'll talk about the nature of preaching. And we have those strange words in chapter 1, verse 25, about the foolishness of God. Verse 25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, children, is God foolish? Why would Paul talk about the foolishness of God? Don't we confess that, that God is all wise? God does all things well? Does Paul really mean when he uses these words that God in some way is foolish? No, Paul, Paul is going to make a comparison. And he's going to say that even that which might look like foolishness on God's part, even that which might look foolish, is wiser than anything a man can come up with. Even that which might look like weakness on God's part is stronger than anything of man. God demonstrates his power and his wisdom through the preaching of the gospel. And Paul uses this, this kind of comparative term that even if that seems foolish, it is wiser than anything a man can come up with. We're going to look at the three foolish things connected with preaching. First, the message that is preached. Second, the recipients of that message. And then, lastly, the method by which that, method, that message is brought. These reminders were for the Corinthian church. These reminders are for us as well. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was Paul's central message. He'll address other things. He'll address troubles in the church. But Paul's central focus, that which made his heart beat, was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so he says in verse 18 of chapter 1, for the word of the cross, crucifixion, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. To preach Jesus Christ crucified just doesn't make sense. It seems like foolishness. And he'll particularly say it seems foolish to both Jews and Gentiles and the Greeks. Verse 22. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. 
But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Jews demand signs. In order to to validate uh, who Jesus said he was, the Jews came to him asking for a sign. They'd been looking for the Messiah. They'd been looking for the anointed one of God. And Jesus Christ comes, and the Jews come to him saying, we want a sign from you to validate who you are. And in Matthew 12, they come to him, and Jesus says, there will be no sign given except for the sign of Jonah. Now, when he says that, kids, what he's saying is, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, the Messiah, Jesus, will be in the earth. He will die. His sign calls attention to his death. And that made no sense to the Jews. The Messiah, the anointed, would be the one blessed by God. Why would he say the sign of who I am is my death? Elsewhere, Jesus will point more more particularly to the method of his death, to his crucifixion. And again, this made no sense to the Jewish mind. The Messiah, the one they were looking for, would be God's anointed, would be the one blessed by God. But crucifixion, crucifixion was a sign of God's curse. How could Jesus be who he said he was if he kept talking about his crucifixion? It simply made no sense to them. That is why Christ crucified was a stumbling block to the Jews. They simply couldn't get past it. A cursed Messiah made absolutely no sense. It was foolishness and a stumbling block. The Greeks, we read, seek wisdom. And for the Greeks, they were well known for their wisdom. Wisdom often connected with fine oratory, with the ability to speak well and to use all the right words and phrases as you taught your lessons. Now, Jesus came, and he was a great teacher, but he didn't use any of the of the speech conventions of the day. He didn't use the right phrases. He didn't use the wise words. It simply didn't make sense to them. This was not the way a wise man talks. How could he be the wisdom of God? And when he spoke of his death, and when he spoke of his crucifixion, the Greeks had this belief that God God could not suffer. And for Jesus to say he was God and then to suffer death, it simply made no sense. It was foolishness. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But we read, verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. 
it would seem like foolishness. The message would seem to make no sense. A crucified Messiah, they just couldn't get their minds around it. But Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, the power of God, the wisdom of God. And that must still be the message in preaching today. There has been a a, a shift in um, the focus of preaching in the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, No longer do we see an emphasis on a careful exposition of Scripture, a careful declaration of what the Word of God says. What is often taught now is a much more user-friendly type of preaching. A preaching that doesn't so much engage with the text, but a preaching that engages first of all with us, with our felt needs. A preaching that is focusing on self-help. We mentioned that this morning. Ways to have a better family, ways to increase your business, all these type of self-help things. That's been a shift in preaching in general. How to have a better life. Now, these things are not bad. And certainly how we run our family, how we run our business, how we run our finances, all flow from the fact that we know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But preaching is first of all about Christ. The others are simply application. Preaching is about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the gospel. The message must be focused on Christ. It may seem like foolishness to the world. To spend so much time, Sunday after Sunday, talking about a man who's dead, Not only dead, a man who was rejected in his own era. A man who was killed. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel must remain at the center of Christian preaching. When our kids were growing up and we told them someday they would leave the house and they'd have to find a church of their own, we told them again and again and again, it's fine if the church has great programs, it's fine if they have great singing, but listen for the gospel. Listen for the gospel. If the gospel is not there, you do not belong there either. And the same is true for us. If God in his providence should... uh, should move us to a different part of the country. We begin looking for a church. What's the, what's, the, what's the primary thing we have to look for? Is the gospel being preached? Are we hearing about Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Because we are poor, fallen sinners, unable to save ourselves. Or is the message, you're a good person, God will make you better. Unfortunately, that is becoming the gospel in many churches today. Jesus Christ and Him crucified must remain the center of our preaching, even if it seems like foolishness to the world. And that's the message we bring again tonight, that we are fallen, that we are sinful, that we cannot 
meet God's holy standards of righteousness and left to ourselves, we would forever be under God's just condemnation. But God, in his mercy and his grace, sent his Son. God sent him to be that that perfect sacrifice for sin. He came to suffer on our behalf, and he died for us that we might have life. Put your faith in that one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the heart of the gospel. Embrace him, know him, trust him with heart and soul and mind and strength. That message may seem like foolishness, but it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Paul talks about those who were called by this foolish message. He says in verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Again, Paul being very honest with the church. Uh, We like to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, perhaps. He says, look look at you. (laughs) Look at you. Not many were wise in worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You're regular people. Nothing special. And yet you were the recipients of this glorious gospel. You were the recipients of the call of God. Look what he says in verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. What is Paul's point, children? He says, God chose, God chose, God chose. That's his point. God chose you. Even though you are not the wise, even though you're not the noble birth, You're not the the greatest out there. God chose you through the call of the gospel to demonstrate his power and his grace and his mercy. So, So who gets the glory when we talk about our salvation? Do we say, my goodness, I am so glad that I had the good sense to choose Jesus. God chose God did all the work. Verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. No, we do not boast in what we have done. We don't boast in who we are. We're not the best and the brightest. We're regular, ordinary people. But God has called us to hear this glorious message of the gospel and moved our hearts to respond to that call so that Christ might be our wisdom. He might be our righteousness. Like we talked about this morning, one whose righteousness is given to us. He might be our sanctification, one who by his word and spirit continues to dwell with us, helping us along in our life. And one who is our redemption who paid a price we could not pay, 
who paid the debt of our sin, which was beyond us. Jesus Christ becoming our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption. So he says, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When someone says, you know, you seem to be living a, a pretty good life. And you know, I see you have uh, your family in order and I see that you attend church regularly. How do we respond to that? Do we say, well, yeah, you're, no, you're right. Um, we kind of do have it together. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy and you know, th things are going quite well for us. Or do we say, it is all a gift of grace. If I'm gonna boast, I'm gonna boast in the Lord, in what he has done. Left to myself, I can't do anything worthless, unable, destined for destruction. But God, God called this one, this one who was not wise, not powerful, not wealthy, this regular person, that he might receive all the glory. And my boast, my boast is in him alone. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Your grace alone, O oh God, to me can pardon speak. We are the recipients of the call of the gospel. But to God belongs all the praise and the glory. Paul then will talk about the way in which the gospel came to them. The method of the gospel. How was it proclaimed? Chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So Paul says, I wasn't either using the, the terms of the day. I wasn't using the conventions of wisdom. Verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you, Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You know, in my mind... I always pictured the Apostle Paul as a fiery preacher. That's not how he saw himself. I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. I simply came preaching the method of the proclamation of the gospel preaching. That's how Paul came. That's how we come today to share this glorious message. You know, again, if, if you look at um, textbooks or take classes on how to communicate your message well, preaching is about the worst thing you can do. To put people sitting quietly in rows while one person speaks to them for 25 or 30 minutes, that's one of the worst ways to get your message across. We need to have hands-on interactive experiences. We need to have small groups. We need to have multimedia presentations. We need to have a variety of speakers that do bigger and better things. And that mentality creeps its way into the church. 
and we begin to think that somehow there's something better than preaching for declaring the truth of the gospel. Paul says, my speech, my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The fact that anyone is saved because of the preaching of the gospel is a testimony not to the preacher, but to preaching itself. This is God's appointed means for declaring the truth. Paul says, it wasn't my, my brilliant presentation that won you over. I take so much comfort when Paul says, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. I take comfort in that when I can't get my words out, when I stutter to get the right word out. But it's preaching that's important, not the preacher. You didn't come tonight to hear a preacher. You came to hear preaching. The preaching of the gospel, lest our faith rest on a man, on what a man can do, on how engaging a man can be. No, preaching is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. Paul said that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Preaching, God's appointed means for the declaration of the gospel. Look at verse 21. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach, meaning both method and message, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. God still uses this appointed means. In spite of the frailties of the preacher, God still uses preaching. And so all the praise, all the honor, all the glory goes to Him. This method of declaring the truth may seem like, it will seem like, foolishness to the world. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's a, it, it's a message of foolishness given to foolish people by a foolish method. But yet for those whom God has called, it is the power of God for salvation. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. Oh, may we continue to submit to this foolish message, this foolish method, as foolish people, that through God's foolishness, His wisdom and His power might be seen. Let's join together in prayer. Lord God, we confess to you how, how often we would say, let's find something more entertaining that's, than preaching. Let's find something more engaging than preaching. And yet, Lord God, preaching, preaching a glorious message is your appointed 
means of salvation. May we, O God, never tire of hearing the truth of the gospel. We are simple, regular, ordinary people, and yet those whom you have called by the power of your Spirit to hear this message and respond to this message. Lord God, may we continue to look to you, to your word, and the public declaration of that word. We might grow in our faith, for in preaching, it truly is the power, your power, O God, unto salvation. Hear our prayer, for Jesus' sake. Amen.